Welcome to Profiles from WFIU. I'm Gina Asher. On Profiles, we talk to notable artists, scholars, and public figures to get to know the stories behind their work. Our guest today is Aaron Predmore, who recently was named President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Gina. It's great to be here. Chambers of Commerce have been around for hundreds of years as ways to unite business interests, and the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce just celebrated a few years ago its centennial. So chambers aren't really a new idea, but listeners may be unfamiliar with what they really do. Tell us about the mission of your chamber. The mission of our chamber is to be the voice of business within our community, and that is the traditional in a lot of ways, traditional mission of Chambers of Commerce going back quite a while. There's a great picture of my husband's grandfather, who was a clothier in Durham, North Carolina, that I remember seeing not long after he and I were married, of him standing with a great number of businessmen all up this big, huge staircase. And the caption read, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, and he was there as the president of the board at that time. Even so, looking back, just in all communities all over the place, it's always served business and the communities that they're in to work together in that way. Is the local chamber affiliated with the state chamber or the U.S. Chamber of Commerce? What is the structural hierarchy, or or, or are they all independent? They can be both independent or connected. In our situation, we are associated with the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, It does not mean we are the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, so sometimes there may be issues that they they may take a stand on something that we locally, you know, do not want to take a stand on or, or in fact, disagree with. And then the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a similar situation, so we're not a member of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but we do, um, we can benefit from their work in some ways as well. So a lot of times it's overlapping interest and, and when things line up then we can we can do that type of stuff together but we are not a member of the US Chamber of Commerce. Are some of your members members of all three or both? Or? I would imagine so yes so um, as businesses get to join the chamber so they you know select where they want their voice to be heard and sometimes uh, just like you alluded to they do join multiple chambers because they're involved in different communities or different parts of that hierarchy. They want to have a voice at different levels yes. So how is our chamber funded? It's mm-hmm. a nonprofit, right? It is. So it's a nonprofit, and um, we're typically funded by the membership dues of our members, along with sponsorships and events. Uh, we have a 501c3 arm as well, which is for our Franklin Initiative, which is specifically works in our schools. So we have opportunities to go for grants and things like that, too. So we have different funding sources depending on we kind of try to diversify that so that we can maintain our programming, things that we need to do. And the programming, we'll get to some details about that in a moment, but the funds then go for supporting business education Mm -hmm. or business-related programming. Exactly. So what we do is use that funding to do business advocacy. So we do a great deal of that kind of work where we're working with elected officials, whether that's local within the state or nationally. So we have relationships with all of them and maintain, you know, as close connection as possible to be able to talk to them about the issues that come in front of them. We also do a lot of networking. So we do creating a connection opportunities for lots of our business members so that they can 
um, strengthen their business. And then we do, as you alluded to, education parts as well. So we do some professional development things so that business can strengthen and people will be better at what they're trying to do. Why would a business want to join a chamber? I think that a business um, wants to join a chamber. I guess let me answer it this way. The reason I want businesses to join the chamber I'm leading is because having strong business connections and that strong community strengthens that community for everybody. Traditionally, we've really looked at chambers as a place for business leaders to all be together in a room and make decisions and then kind of go out and make sure those things happen. And I do believe that is part of our function in the way that we do. Um, But it's also very important for all of the staff at the different businesses to have a voice as well, for them to be able to have access to that professional development, for them to be able to network with their peers and build their careers and things like that too. So a business joins the chamber because they want to create a peer network, they want to have a voice, and they want to have support so that when they need that kind of education and and learning opportunities, it's there for them too. What kind of businesses are in the local chamber? Oh my goodness, we have varies depending on the month, but anywhere between 850 to 875 membership at any given time. And our members vary from consulting, you know, financial, we have our, you know, banks, insurance, realty companies, we have doctor's offices, we have churches, we have nonprofits, we have artists, we have mom and pop stores, we've got people working out of the garage, we have large medical device, you know, groups, I use a member. I mean, so it's just very just very extensive and very different depending on the business. So some of them may be very small where the Mm -hmm. staff may not have opportunities for this kind of programming in other ways. I think that's exactly it. So it ends up being very cost effective. I'm used to running nonprofits on a small budget. And when you when it comes to that training line, you know, what is it you're going to try to have access to? What are your goals for the year? What do you need to learn? It can be very expensive to try to send staff off to do professional development. So getting these opportunities is a cost-effective way to do that. We have a searchable website so people can come and get referrals for things that they're looking for. And one of the things that's exciting that we can do our statistics on a monthly sort of basis, we just did it. And we had almost 350,000 referrals that went through our website just in the month of August. And that was all of these people that are looking for businesses and those kind of, you know, connections, making those through that website, all because these people are members of the chamber. So I would say that's an awesome benefit that comes from their connection with us. Do you mean someone would be looking for a specific business service mm-hmm. and would come there to search? Yep. So if I let's say I needed to find home insurance. So I could go on the website, you know, and get that information and get a list of Chamber of Commerce members that provide home insurance and then therefore, you know, follow through and connect with their website or get a referral in that way. So that's exactly what it would do. Does being on the Chamber website give some kind of credibility for people? I believe it does. I think that there's a professionalism that comes with being a member of the Chamber of Commerce that's assumed. I mean, I think that the Chamber of Commerce has a very strong brand recognition. And so people do believe that, well, this is a business that takes itself seriously, that wants to be part of the community. I feel like that gets transferred into those businesses by being associated together. 
how many people work at the chamber? Because this sounds like staging these kind of education opportunities and maintaining the website (laughs) and the other programs would take some people power. It does take some people power, but we are small but mighty. Um, (laughs) So we have eight staff at the chamber. Uh, We have some grad um, interns and fellows and then some undergrads as well that help us with different things. Between all of us, we are able to do the things that we mentioned and try to build on the success that we've had in the past. How do you work with the board? I assume there's a board of directors. There is. And so we have monthly board meetings, like similar to many nonprofits. An interesting aspect of our Chamber of Commerce is our advocacy arm. And so we have a tiered advocacy. Advocacy Council meets monthly as well. And they, a lot of them are past chairs of the Chamber of Commerce and other people in the community that are very interested in advocacy. So they're able to get together monthly and talk about these issues. And they'll make recommendations to the board about positions that the chamber may need to take. And then the board is able to look at it as well and uh, determine whether or not the chamber needs to come out for or against a particular issue going on in the community. Is the board the decision-making and this you and your staff are the executors of the decisions? Yes. So my relationship, the board, the board, I bring them the issues that we talk about the things going on. Sometimes they bring me the issues. Sometimes they may know about something. So in that way, we're very collaborative and working together, trying to make informed decisions. We really do try at the chamber to be very transparent and sincere, being honest brokers about issues and really being, you know, straight about what's really happening and and what's going to be best for the community. We try to have those kind of conversations with each other and then also kind of with the community as a whole. And I think that kind of structure works really well to have us be able to talk about tough issues and and make some progress on those things. So the board may take up an issue. We discuss it fully. They vote and say, yep, let's say it this way or let's do this. Let's take this stand. And then I'm the one that gets to go out and take the stand. listening to Profiles from WFIU. This is Gina Asher. We're talking today with Erin Predmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. The advocacy of the chamber is certainly not new. I happened to look at the centennial booklet that was produced Mm -hmm. uh, in honor of that occasion and and read some very interesting local history. The chamber had taken up, for example, water supply in its first year of existence, and that carried on through Monroe County for several decades, figuring out what would be a good water supply and and how that would benefit, obviously, business and community. The chamber has, of course, taken on advocacy over the years since then, on issues such as the city smoking ban, expansion of I-69, affordable health care. What are some of the issues you're grappling with now, perhaps some that you took a stand on it, that the public or local business didn't exactly like? How do you reconcile all of that? Those are good, yeah, great questions. For this portion, kind of this time right at this moment, we're taking Uh, The main advocacy issues we're working on are the UDO uh, for the city, so the Unified Development Ordinance, 
we've been tracking all of that as they've sent out each module and getting, you know, our again, our advocacy council is reviewing those. and Explain a little what that is. <laughs> okay. The city of Bloomington is going through a process right now to have a unified approach to development within the city limits. And so the entire part of this is this gigantic ordinance, which is supposed to describe everything from, you know, whether it's height and density, which has been a big issue downtown, to setbacks, which is another portion of that, to all the things that go in with that, what's required when you build this or that, and how all of these things are going to work together. And so it's pretty critical to the way uh, we, you know, kind of live and work in Bloomington. And so as part of that, the Chamber of Commerce is watching that very closely. Uh, We have staff that attend all of those meetings that are reviewing all of the documents that come out of that. And we also have volunteers that do the same thing. So then we, again, get together as a group and really hash out the details and talk as a group about what we envision for Bloomington and how we can get there. And we have people with very sharp and long memories. So they're able to say, well, you know, 30 years ago, this is what we were trying to do. And I remember when we did this and it didn't work. So, you know, if we're going to come around again, let's try it a different way. Those kind of things, which really help us to be, I guess, have a full view of what the options are. So I'd say the UDO is one of those issues right now that we're tracking. The city budget process took place not too long ago. So that's another thing that we watched very closely to see where the budget priorities were for the city. The county's doing a county development ordinance as well, so we're watching that. We've got different issues around road extensions, Fullerton Pike, and um, different things like that. So all of those issues that come up within local government, uh, we're watching and part of those conversations so that we can make sure that the voice of business is heard and that that idea of development and growth, we can be very intentional about that and encouraging our leaders to be very transparent and consistent in their laws so that development and business leaders can know what to expect when they're starting something new in Bloomington or trying to expand or or just maintaining what they're doing. What kind of influence do you have? How do local governments and policymakers respond to what the chamber might think or a statement you may put out? Yeah, I would say that we have very positive relationships with government leaders and elected officials. So we work pretty hard to talk to them, you know, as often as we need to, to, I think I have most everyone's cell phone, so we text sometimes depending on what the issue is. Sometimes it's a, hey, did you see this article? You know, what's going on over here? Or what's happening there? So We're seen as part of that kind of leadership group that helps to get all of that information together. And and I think they trust us that we're going to be, like I said, an honest broker about issues and really talk to them about what's going on and encourage them to, as they're thinking their way through different issues that they're thinking about, the impact it may have on business or workers, employees, and things like that, too. What other organizations do you network with? Gosh, we network with uh, so many different people. I would say that we have, I mean, I would say my board is very diverse with different leadership positions represented there, whether it's, you know, IU or Cook, or we have people from the Bloomington Board of Realtors. We have different attorneys that are present and that sort of thing as well. Smaller business people and all of that too. The BEDC, so Lynn Coyne uh, and his work over there, I talk to him pretty often. Bloomington Economic Development Corporation, sorry. (laughs) Yes. So I work with him as well. I work with Alex Crawley a great deal in the city. So he works with economic development there. 
So I would say there's a pretty fluid group of people who are tasked with working on different parts of this overall business economic development environment for our community. And we talk. We talk a lot. Are there sometimes rough interactions? Do you ever get on the a different side of an issue where people don't especially appreciate what the chamber has to say? I would love to say that never happens, <laughs> but that would not be being an honest broker. No, I'm, I know that that happens. There are times where we have traditionally pushed for things that other people did not like. I mean, you mentioned the smoking ordinance. I know that when that first came out, that was not, everybody was not happy necessarily that our community was going that route. That route being to ban smoking to in ban public smoking. places. Yep. So that was a big deal. Uh, the parking, downtown parking, that was a thing that we came out against initially. And it was uh, difficult to kind of get to a place where everyone had been heard. A lot of times those issues are about rollout and about implementation of whatever the policy is. So just making sure everybody has time to adjust and time to understand what's happening around them. And again, going back to real consistency and transparency so that business owners get an opportunity to adjust their business plan and know what what it is they're responding to. So yes, there have definitely been times where the chamber has not, has taken an unpopular position or have been at odds at the very people that we connect with and network with all the time, but we just disagree about how to move forward. And we've had to kind of keep working on those things. There are other times when another organization may come out with a position that reflects on you. And I'm thinking of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce having a secret anti-union meeting. (laughs) Yes. That news came out, and I'm sure that your phone rang. It didn't ring as much as you would have thought. I saw that in the paper and thought, oh, shoot, like, you're kidding me. I haven't been there too long, and so these are some of my first – I'm just very alert right now to kind of what's coming on the horizon and and how how I need to assess what's going on. So I had read that article, and I did think, oh, shoot, and then talked to staff, and I said, do we need to say something about this? Do we need to get ahead of this? And they all said no because that's not us. Like, it's not going to be – an issue. I said, oh, I bet it's an issue for somebody. (laughs) Like they may have already told us that they have an issue with this, but I know that's an issue for somebody. And so we did talk about it internally. We talked about it at the advocacy council meeting and the board meeting just to kind of make sure everybody had a heads up and and understood that, that they would help us, you know, if it does come up in the community to explain that that isn't us and that we are not part of that event, you know, that we're not supportive of what they're up there doing. People who haven't heard you just explain the hierarchy of all these different chambers, Mm -hmm. we just hear Chamber of Commerce and jump to a conclusion, maybe. Yes, exactly. So, And that's what it is. It sounds like, oh, well, our local Bloomington must be exactly part of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, and they might be doing that thing. And no, that, that was definitely their own decision to put that program on. What are some advocacy policies that are coming up next? So we're going to be going through in the next couple of months hammering out for 2019 what our advocacy agenda will be. And so we'll be continuing that. It's not necessarily at this moment. We don't have any set things at this point that we're going to be pushing for. A lot of it is reactive to what our legislators file at the state house. So we look and see what it is they're doing. Some of the 
work we've done leading up to the legislative session that's going to be going on is talking some more about transportation. That is very important to our community and, and is something I've seen in different roles that I've had here in the community, the critical nature of that. So we're going to continue having that conversation with them and pushing for that. And we're going to have the convention center remain something that we're interested in for the community. So, yeah, I would say those are the two main things right now that I'm aware of that are going to be kind of an ongoing conversation that we're part of. I noticed that the website has a lot of information about laws and upcoming proposed laws at the state and federal levels that your constituents might be interested in following. How do you pull all that together? Do you have someone who's monitoring that all the time? This was an Excel spreadsheet of different laws, where they stood in the process, what they meant, broken down into Mm -hmm. English language. Yep, so that you would know kind of what you're reading. Yeah, those things are so helpful, aren't they? What we end up doing is being able to pull together a lot of work that advocates do at the State House regarding different issues that are important to us locally. And so then you can pull together something like that, a spreadsheet where you can follow those different laws and sort of see where they are. There's a great app that's called Ping the People. And so you can actually register for that and let them know what legislation you're interested in tracking. And then it will actually ping your phone whenever anything happens with that legislation. So they'll be able to track that regardless of this topic. It doesn't have to do with the Chamber of Commerce. It could be doing you know something about education or DCS concerns or anything. People should know about that. But we do have staff that both have their phones ping a great deal with certain legislation that they're interested in, but then also do track that legislation. It comes out in just this gigantic big pile at the beginning. And so the first couple of weeks is just trying to wade through it all and getting a sense, is this something we support, we don't support, or we're neutral on? And we can take feedback and guidance from other entities as well who sort of divide and conquer those, all of those, the submitted bills so that we can track those. And so then we get gigantic Excel spreadsheets, and by the end, they're whittled down to just a handful of things we're tracking at the end. So education's definitely a goal. You mentioned earlier the Franklin Initiative. Tell us about that. That's one of your flagship education programs. Yeah, so the Franklin Initiative is a wonderful thing. I have kids here in school in Bloomington. I've benefited personally from the Franklin Initiative. Last year, my daughter got to do the reality store, which is in the the middle schools, where they, uh, based on their GPA, They get to get a career based on that. They get to select from two or three options. And then they have to live based on what they might expect to earn with that career. And so they are required to get their, you know, housing covered and, you know, transportation, food, all that sort of stuff. I think they roll a dice and determine if they have a spouse. And then they roll a dice again to see if they have any kids. And they have to, you know, deal with all of those things. So it's a really great opportunity for kids to learn about the connection between success at school and long-term success financially, and also just introducing some of those ideas about budgeting and financial stuff to them as well. So that's one part of the Franklin Initiative. The Franklin Initiative is trying to get these ideas of kind of personal success, entrepreneurship, business development, connecting school success to career success, all of that for the kids, so they can have a lot of exposure to those ideas And as they grow up, they can begin to think of themselves in a kind of in a forward future facing way. So someone from the chamber goes to classrooms and presents this? How does this? It's an actually. What's the mechanism here? The 
Well, now for the reality store specifically or Franklin Initiative overall? Take your pick. All right. Well, I'll say the reality <laughs> start, store. Start with what you were describing yeah. in your middle school classroom. Well, this is this massively big program that we get like 50 volunteers show up at, you know, Jackson Creek Middle School and help them put on the program for the day. So we have two groups that go through, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And uh, by the end of the day, everybody's had an opportunity to go Practice through the reality. adulting. Yep, exactly. And so they, I mean, they have to pay for like a cell phone. I mean, it's just all the things. And it's. Um, they have to create their own budgets mm-hmm. and understand that they exactly. need money they, to have a cell phone plan. Yep, and they go up to the different sections and they say, okay, so you want to get a car, you know, here's the here are the options for you. And so they might say, oh, I really like this fancy car. I'm pretty pumped about that. I've got this great car. Well, then they go to housing and they may not have enough money. to. These are stations in the right. room. Mm-hmm. Right. So then they have to realize, oh, wait, I have to turn my car back in and go because I need housing too. I don't have enough money. I need to do housing first and then... You know, then maybe food to help them prioritize their choices and and then go back and see how much money they have left over for which cell phone do they want or car do they want or something like that. It's a great program. So we do that at all the middle schools in the county. The Franklin Initiative also works with we have speakers bureaus and different kind of we have job skills fair and a career fair as well. Are these also for children or K through 12? It is all K through 12. Um, the majority of our work with Franklin Initiative are... Um, typically middle and high school students. And so in the elementary schools, we will provide um, different people in different careers to come and talk to classes when that's important to the teachers, and they can make those requests. And so then we connect professionals with them to be able to come and talk to the kids about what it is they do. And we do that for kids of all ages. The Job Skills Fair is one that is going to be happening this fall and is an opportunity for kids to learn more about both college and community college options, apprenticeships, other things like that, like different different pathways and careers that, that they may have available to them right after high school. So we're, we're looking forward to that, too. And how is the Franklin Initiative funded? Is that also supported by your members? The Franklin Initiative is mainly primarily funded through grants and donations. So it is part of our foundation. The majority of the funding for that program comes through that. We also have sponsors that sponsor parts of the Franklin Initiative as well. So that helps us to make sure that we've got all of those costs covered. You're listening to Profiles from WFIU. This is Gina Asher. Aaron Predmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce, is our guest today. We've been talking about chambers of commerce and advocacy and other programs within both local and other chambers. Aaron, you've been leader of the chamber for a short time, but you bring years of experience to the job, specifically in nonprofit leadership and fundraising. You led Monroe County United Ministries here in Bloomington for nearly four years. That agency, also a force in the community for decades, is concerned with services for low-income families and children. And your experience for several years before that was in leading family service organizations. In your new position, is there apprehension about how you will integrate your social service background into what may be perceived as pro-business stance? I think I had to work through that apprehension during the interview process. 
So when they first approached me to talk a little bit about this position and to see if I was interested, I I kind of just laughed and said, "Are you sh- have you met me? Like, do you know that I am actually this person? I really am a social service director. And the board assured me that was something that they were excited about, that they were very glad that I had that experience and that there's a saying that I remember, I guess, in grad school, somebody talking about um, the difference between people. Some people live to work and others work to live, right? So the live to work people are the, you know, every day, their entire life is, you know, part of their job and they're just sort of always thinking about that stuff and living that way. Then the opposite is obviously people go do their job and then they're having fun and doing other things outside of work that are, that they feel fulfillment from. I am definitely in the first category where <laughs> I'm a live to work person. And it doesn't mean I work, you know, crazy hours or do all that, but I really am that person who volunteers or thinks about that or finds connections with people, you know, on the weekends or whoever it is, just thinking about my community in that way of trying to bridge those different parts of it. So as I worked through the the chamber opportunity and thought through that, I realized that that this was just a different platform to say the same type of things that I've been saying for a long time. I continue to be very worried about young children and education. Uh, preschool education is critically important, but it's critically important from a business perspective too. We have overlapping goals there and always have. The business community has always been very su- supportive of that. Additionally, worrying about you know low-income families. If I'm worried about somebody because they don't have rent money, I also need to worry about the business where they're working. How do I help that business to be more successful so that this individual can maybe earn more money or have more hours or that business can expand and this person can be promoted? Again, it's the flip of the same coin. And by having a really strong business community, um, I felt like it was an empowering way to help continue to help those same families that I was worried about at Macom or Family Service Center, other parts of my career. And I find that all of those, like I said, overlapping Goals and priorities really is just a nice, um, it's just a nice opportunity to make a lot of really interesting connections. Do you think this is a new attitude that maybe other previous presidents or CEOs did not have? Are you enlightening the chamber in some way, or has this been there all along? We just don't assume that. I think it's probably a little bit of both. They certainly have not had somebody as overtly active within the nonprofit community lead them in the past. I'm not busting through walls and really, you know, saying, we've got to do this and no one's listening. I mean, I point out something I mentioned a minute ago about being concerned about transportation as an advocacy issue. It's really hard in our community if you don't have a car and you don't live near downtown to really be active and go to work, make it to school, do all that. If you live further out, it remains very difficult. I brought that up in a meeting we had when we were talking about the transportation plan from the city of Bloomington, and that I was concerned that public transportation was not part of that plan. And everyone went, oh, oh, yeah, good point. And that was all, I mean, it was just a, oh, thanks, yeah. And then we started this full conversation about that. So I think that everyone was already there, but just maybe not making the connections always. And they may not have seen this as an outlet for some of that, some of this community positive community impact when it comes to economic development? What what exactly are we doing? How do you want your leadership to be different? Or what will you borrow from some previous leaders? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that 
Steve Howard, who was our president and CEO of the chamber many years ago at this point, but um, he recently passed away. I was not lucky enough to meet Steve before he passed. But I have been lucky enough to hear everybody's stories about Steve in the last couple of months. And, and it's amazing to me how somebody, again, he also came from part of the professional world that was not the chamber. So he had 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 a full career in the Navy before he started working to lead the chamber. So I have been listening to those stories very closely lately and um, considering the impact he's made, such a positive impact on the Bloomington community. One of the things he did is he maintained really positive relationships, but he also was willing to push and encourage and take a stand on things. And he did it in a way that kind of just kept kept at it, even if people were reluctant and uh, persuaded people over time and really, really did a great job of providing leadership and vision. I would say that would be one of the things that I've been listening to a great deal is thinking about how to structure my tenure at the chamber and and what kind of impact I want to have. I try to be a pretty, for staff anyway, you'll have to ask them, but I I do try to have us all reaching for a, a pretty inspirational goal and not just sitting behind our desk and thinking about, you know, I'm, we're putting on the stuff in the spreadsheet or I'm sending another email. But what exactly, why are we doing this work? We, uh, not too long ago, did a planning retreat with staff and talked a lot about what a great chamber is. And that's what we defined first. And then we talked, how are we going to get there? What would we be impressed with if others did it? And what is it we're really, why are we here? Why is this so important? And that was great to hear everybody come together as a team and really talk about the impact we want to have in the community overall, why being here and doing this work is so important. What were some of the things that came out of that? Well, we talked a great deal about the chamber being the voice of business, but also being a trusted knowledge center for people in the community and continuing that. And and we talked, you know, that you just kind of take that idea and then you follow it. Okay, well, how do we, how do we know if we're being a trusted knowledge center? Well, are people visiting our website? Are they doing that? Are they attending our professional development? Do they call us when something comes up and says, hey, you need to be part of this conversation? Are they asking us to come out of our office and join them at meetings? Or are we sitting on boards? Are we doing things like that? So just recognizing that the impact and the, I guess those kind of how big is your circle kind of a thing, recognizing that that part really does matter and and that we can be intentional about some of that stuff. You're listening to WFIU. This is Profiles, and I'm Gina Asher. We're talking today with Erin Predmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. led you to this line of work to begin with? Well, initially I was going to be an astronaut. (laughs) So way back when, I was uh, very interested in that and had wanted to be an astronaut my entire life. I am clearly not an astronaut at this point. But eventually, as I made my way through college and trying to figure out what I was going to do, my mom gave me great advice, which was just pick a major that will keep your attention for four years. And you're going to go to graduate school. Don't worry so much about this and just deep breath. So I took a deep breath 
<laughs> and I picked a major, graduated. What did you pick? I was a religious studies major. That's very different from astronaut. I know, isn't it? That's why when you hear the story, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so definitely not an astronaut. So I was a religious studies major. I took this really great class. I kept talking to my parents about it on the phone, and my mom said, well, I think you need to just major in that. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? I mean, I don't know. And she's like, no, I mean, like, really, like, you're more excited about this one class you've taken than any of the other things you've mentioned. So I got to learn all about all the different world religions and how they're all connected. And it's a kind of an extension of getting to know people and understanding how they tick. So that was that was great. So I did that. And I went to D.C. after graduation and worked at the Federal Trade Commission as a paralegal. So I thought I might go to law school. And I got to do really fun things like, oh, the Federal Trade Commission gets to go on raids. Like I had a jacket and got this to This is like, very different from religious studies. Very different. Again, very different, but very fun. <laughs> so I got to do that. And then while I was there, I, I was. I was intending to go to law school. And while I was there in D.C., I found a program, this great, for me, my faith is very important and part of a part of who I am. And I found this program. It was a theology and pastoral counseling program. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I could sit around all day and talk religion. I could help people. I could be this all that. I was way more excited about that, again, than I was about law school. And so my mom, again, in her wisdom said, you know, that's probably a good idea. You should probably look at that. And so at that point, I realized I wanted to do counseling. So I ended up, after that enthusiasm for that program, sort of seeking out more opportunities to figure that out. So I have a master's in counseling, actually. And that's where I started my career after my master's program was I've done community counseling, working with kids and families, and a lot of crisis work, working with people who are suicidal or homicidal or psychotic, substance abuse, kind of disordered, experiencing those types of things, those, you know, like psychotic symptoms, suicidal symptoms, that kind of stuff. I did that for a long time, too. So I did all that. <laughs> and then I got promoted a bunch, and people said, yeah, you're doing a good job, and help us design these programs and help us figure out these grants and do all of that. So eventually I kind of went into the administrative part of that and uh, ended up running an agency and sort of I'm, I'm here now doing this. What do your older friends have to say about your career path? Are people surprised to hear you say, I'm leading a chamber of commerce? They were surprised about that. They wondered if I had changed or if the chamber of commerce had changed. <laughs> so that was... That remains to be seen. That It does. It does. Well, I just keep reassuring them that I have not changed. So it must be that the chamber is a little different, either than they expected or it's changed. But I think it's just different than they expected it to be. My old friends would say that I don't know that any of them are too surprised, only because, again, it goes to that community development part of everything that I've done. I've always been worried about those families, making sure they had enough to feed their kids. And when they didn't, I would do in-home counseling. I remember sitting and going to visit somebody in a, you know, kind of a low-income part of town and sitting there in the dark because they didn't want to turn the lights on because it would use electricity in the summer. So they kept their AC low and um, trying to kind of you know, stay on a budget with their electricity usage and uh, sitting there with their little baby and talking about their child's development. And I remember this vividly because I remember thinking, I have a baby. <laughs> like, I'm at home trying to figure out how to do certain things with my child, but I have so many more resources than they do to even feed their child or get diapers or that sort of thing. 
And when you sit with a family and they're trying to think about all the things that they have power over, where their resources come from, where they feel like they have they have choices that they can make that may make a positive difference in their life. That stark difference between where I was and where they were was very telling. And you just worry about those families. And those families are everywhere. They're not just back in Phoenix City, Alabama, which is where I was working at the time, but um, they're here. They're down the street from us. 25% of our population live in poverty here in Monroe County. So we need to keep worrying about those people. What did you learn at these previous positions that not only you can apply to your work at the chamber, but hold true for your work at the chamber? What are you bringing along? I think that some of the things that I'm bringing, I have the counseling background, which I find helps me as a supervisor and administrator, regardless of where I am or who I'm working with, because it always gives me an opportunity to really listen and try to find out what that individual's goals are and how we can work together to achieve something, which is essentially what someone may do with a therapist, right, is to sit together in a room and say, okay, this is the problem. How to, you know, what are some ideas about tackling it? I would say that's the skill that strings together all of my jobs and positions I've held. But I've also learned a great deal from really powerful, wonderful supervisors along the way, some really strong women who taught me how to stand up for my ideas and myself, um, how to get in there and really do work that nobody wanted to do, and how you just say, all right, you know what? That is a problem. I guess let's go get that done. And you'd say, oh, crap, my supervisor's leading the charge. I guess I have to go too. (laughs) And so after you see that happen a couple of times, you think, wait a minute, I can do that. I can be the person that's nudging and pushing or leading, you know, from the leading from the front or leading from the back. I think both of those are important. I think building community consensus, there's a a great group in Springfield, Illinois, which is where Family Service Center was, which is where I used to work before we moved to Bloomington. And uh, they have a, it's called the Faith Coalition for the Common Good. And it's a group of churches, union, and schools, and nonprofits that all come together. And these are not people who normally would have all sat down together to try to solve some problems. But what they realized was that they all had common goals. And if they put themselves together, they could magnify their impact. And so all of a sudden, they had a voice. They were at the table. They were at the city council meetings. They were endorsing candidates. They were pushing people to try to get some things done. And it was so inspiring. You just wanted to be part of something like that. So those are the types of things I think I bring to the chamber that from along the way is just recognizing that you can stand up and say, you know, it's important to lead both from the front and the back to have people know the direction you need to go. And then also that consensus building, just making sure that you think of all the people you need to be inviting to the table because those voices need to be heard. In the short time you've been there, what's been the biggest surprise about the chamber? I guess I would say the biggest surprise have been times when people have said things to me privately that I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) That it would not be something they would say publicly or in my previous positions if I was not the CEO or president of the chamber, that it wouldn't have been a, I've been elevated in my stature, I guess, my status, uh, I would say. And so now we're, I have more peers that are business leaders that are sharing things that I thought, oh, I didn't know that. I can't even think of one right now. I wish I could think of one right now. Yes, I'm intrigued now. You have to explain that. Well, it's just it's just people. Um, Are they confiding in you more? 
I would say they're confiding in me more. I feel like, which is part of my job, is to know more of those kind of. And this is members. Yes, these would be members um, or people in the community. The the funniest thing that somebody said was that first week was that they thought I would be taller when they met me, which I think was just it was just funny. That was a funny thing (laughs) because I obviously can't change how tall I am. But that was funny. I would say that the other parts, the other things that have surprised me have just been understanding the the things I now know or the things I'm aware of, the different, like the leadership styles or the the history. Like I said, we have a long history at the chamber and lots of people are still involved that can tell me the stories of all the things that used to happen. And those have been times where I've been like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. Now I'm behind the curtain and I can hear all the all the scoop. It's kind of fun. <laughs> that part's fun. <laughs> I'm not going to share the scoop with you. Though, you're Jane. not. I know. Not. I can tell Alas, that you're you have not going to. Move on. Yes, I'm going to have to move on from <laughs> that. But I'm still thinking about it. Well, I'll see if I can think of an example. If I do, I'll okay. I'll share it. We can back up. We can back up. I can come back to that one. Do you surprise members then, especially when they learn about your social service background? Are they expecting something different from you because of my background, or different because of the history of the chamber, which? I would say that everybody has been positive when they have heard all of the feedback given to me directly. I should probably say that. I hope that everyone is positive. But the feedback I've gotten directly to me has been people are very excited to have me in the position because of that background. My nonprofit peers are glad to have that voice at the table where I'm able to talk about some of the other issues that may be impacting our community from from a direct service perspective. And they've been excited about that. And the business leaders that I'm at the table with are happy to have that perspective as well. So that seems to have been very positive. People are excited about that. What do you see as your personal challenges then? My personal challenges are probably to try to maintain a good (laughs) work-life balance. So I do have three kids and a husband and a gigantic dog. So just juggling all of those things at home, which are really important to me, with a a successful job and and doing well at that, I'm still sliding into that. So I I don't quite think we've done all the work at home that we need to do so that work doesn't seem to intrude too much. But we're working on that. But I'd say the other challenges I have are I am a, a dreamer and a planner and a doer, and those are wonderful qualities, except when they're not. (laughs) I am aware of that. And so I will say that in my career, I've learned that there are times where I just need to to be and let things kind of settle out. And maybe there's a slower path that we're going to take. I'm a pretty efficient person, so I'm not always patient. So I would say those are my challenges is to try to to maintain patience and and to just remember that within those collaborations and those working together, that not everyone's going to have my timetable. and, And my great idea is not everyone's victory. They don't always want that. So I have to be a good listener. And it goes back to that therapy experience, you know, doing all that for years is being able to say, okay, you tell me what what you're thinking and where are you going with this and, and letting other people lead. I think that's important too.
You're listening to Profiles from WFIU. This is Gina Asher. We're talking today with Aaron Predmore, President and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. What do you think the challenges are for Bloomington in its people and its businesses? What are like the top three things that we should be thinking about? I think that Bloomington, what I've just kind of observed is that we're really struggling right now with our growth and and what we're supposed to do about that. So there's kind of a push and pull around those issues, uh, whether it's kind of maintaining you know, Bloomington as it's always been, and then we don't want to continue to grow or add on, or yes, 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 we've got to grow. We need to grow as much as we can. And is there a happy medium and all that? So I feel like we're in the middle of those kind of identity struggles, trying to figure out exactly what it means to be the great city of Bloomington. And that's a really hard kind of an identity crisis in a lot of ways. And I think we'll work our way through I don't think it's easy. I think that's really hard work for the people here because the very things that we love about our community are the reason that other people want to come. So then you have to say, well, if we were to stop growth, what would happen if nobody else came (laughs) and we were stagnant? We wouldn't really want that either. So it's kind of, it's a hard, how do we maintain what we love about our community while still having space for others to join us? So I kind of feel like that's our current community question. Um, It's going to take us a while, I think, to figure that out. I do think going back to our other comments about the the UDO, the Unified Development Ordinance, it's not a very exciting thing for most people to know about the UDO, but that's really important about the community we live in. That takes a lot of those issues around development and puts them in a really, like I said, clear and concise, expected, understood sort of thing so that developers can understand where they can build and what kind of areas and you know, do they have to do affordable housing and how much and all that? So I actually think some of that's going to be really good work for uh, for the community to help us plan for the next several years. But anyway, so I would say that's our number one is the identity crisis. I just don't think we quite know what to do with ourselves, like with our do we have people come or not, like the affordable housing. Maybe I would say that's the number two thing because when, when people come, we don't have a place that they can afford to live. I would say that's uh, – that's difficult. <laughs> Do we have a third issue that's like our, our top three for Bloomington? I would say I'll just put in one that I worry about, and I always worried about foster kids and our the, the opioid epidemic and the impact on kids. Um, I'm a CASA, and uh, in Springfield I was the director for a, a nonprofit that was a foster care agency. So I worry about the children and, and how they're doing. So I would say that's our number three because if we have – I don't know the numbers at this moment, but it's five or 600 kids in foster care just in our county. Do we have enough foster parents? Are their biological parents doing okay? Do we have enough treatment? Are the kids okay? So that's just maybe my, those are my top three, I'd say. What we're hearing then are the ways that big topics affect Bloomington and its people and how the chamber is dealing with those. One recent was, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, is the convention center expansion. There were a few missteps with the city and some constituents about who was going to develop that. And the chamber did come out and, as you've mentioned, take a stand on that. 
tell us how that worked? I mentioned earlier we have a, the Advocacy Council, and so we were able to first talk to them about kind of this is the issue, the convention center, essentially the MOU between the city and the county. The memorandum of, of understanding. understanding. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Gina. So the the county voided it, said that it was now void because the mayor had spoken to the hotelier to let him know there were other people also interested in being considered to build the hotel. And so the county stopped, you know, kind of removed their support for the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, and, and it kind of froze the process. So where the chamber ended up, what we ended up doing was taking that information, talking to kind of everybody and getting a sense of where people stood and, and what we needed to do to move forward. And we're very, very hopeful. That's so critical to our community, this convention center. One of the issues is we're collecting a food and beverage tax for everything that has any food, any hot food or drinks that are sold in the county is currently getting taxed and going into this fund. Collecting this tax, we should do the thing we said we we're going to do. And that's kind of the position the chamber took was we need to keep moving with this project. I'm encouraging the city and county to get back together, you know, reissue an MOU, pull the committee together. They have they've created a committee to help advise and and guide the the process too. So that was the position we ended up taking. It essentially starts at our advocacy council. Recommendations were made to the board. The board considered that and then and then came out with a stance. Did you feel you were mediating something, a spat or a, a little dissension between two parties? How did they take that? They've been very open to input. I can say that in my conversations with both the city and county officials, they all want to see a success here. And that was very allayed any kind of concerns we might have about was this, you know, was it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a spat as much as it was, who's doing what and how are we going to move forward so that this can be successful. I mean, what I keep saying to people as they're asking is we just want a win-win. I just want the city and the county both to be, to have the success so that we can get the convention center built and have it continue to move forward. Because if everybody wins and we navigate this well, then it's going to be a success for the whole community, which is Again, why the chamber took the stand that they did was because how critical that is for the community. So a lot of it's just, you know, you asked if I was mediating. A lot of it's having conversations and saying, okay, what, where is this stand at this point? Okay, can we restate it in this way? What do you think about this? And, and it is a little bit of that mediation, but a lot of it's encouragement and helping both sides to, both sides, I think, had valid points that needed to be heard as well. So it was helpful to be able to hear those points and help convey those as well so that we could, like I said, work our way through it. Do your member organizations ever object to your positions? They do object historically. We didn't hear any objections about anything with the convention center. But in the past, there may be issues where we may take a stand on something and it maybe it negatively impacts one of our members, but the chamber maybe as a community issue or is overall needs to take a stand on something. And that's part, again, going back to the Advocacy Council and the board and kind of how that kind of bubbles up in our, the hierarchy. We really want to get that input along the way so that we can understand the impact of a position on a particular business or organization. So we'll send out quick surveys to members and say, hey, recently the Parking Commission came out with new recommendations for parking and it went all the way through that. We were really interested. We wanted to hear from our members to get that kind of, hey, is this going to impact you? How will it impact you? Are you supportive or not? We do try to get a sense of how, get a temperature check, I guess, of the membership. 
so that we can accurately represent their voice. Just because I may feel something or one of my staff may believe something doesn't mean that is our posi- our positions don't come from ourselves as individuals. It comes from our membership. You mentioned Bloomington's identity as one of the chief goals to protect and to encourage Bloomington's identity. How does it compare with other places you've lived? What exactly is our identity here? Bloomington is an amazing place. Uh, We moved here about four years ago. My husband and I joke that we've done a tour of the Southeast through (laughs) college and undergrad and both grew up in South Carolina. So we've seen lots of different communities, moved out to the Midwest and we're in Illinois for a while before we came here to Bloomington. I would say that one of the things that struck us immediately was how warm and accepting everybody in town was, that we really enjoyed community. It's a wonderful place to raise children. And we love that about where we live. It's also, again, the things that people always, always mention about Bloomington. We've got a wonderful university here. We have a thriving business sector. We have great art scene and music. It's fun to be here. The weather's nice. I mean, just all the things that are great. So I would say that as we're comparing it to other places I've lived, I mean, we don't want to go anywhere else. We've lived a lot of different places, and uh, this has got such a nice balance for all those wonderful, positive things. And it's a beautiful, I mean, literally beautiful place to live. We've been talking with Erin Predmore, president and CEO of the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for taking time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. This is Gina Asher for Profiles. Thanks for listening. Copies of this and other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found at our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios of Indiana University. The producer is Aaron Kane. The studio engineer and radio audio director is Michael Paskash. The executive producer is John Bailey. Please join us next week for another edition of Profiles. Profiles.